<laughs> Thanks Graham, good morning everyone Good to see you If you've got your Bible with you and care to turn to Luke chapter 12 I'd like to read about this farmer The rich fool, the greedy farmer Various other titles have been given to the story But here it is in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13 Through to verse 21 Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be in your guard um, against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. A certain rich man, sorry, produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God oh what a story that is eh? parables this is called a parable it's a, a thrown alongside thing parabole para means alongside bolis, um, from the verb balo to throw it means a thrown alongside thing the Lord Jesus threw two sets of truth in parallel like two railway lines all the time in his teaching about a third of the teaching of Jesus was given in parables. The Jewish rabbis used them occasionally, but Jesus used parables all the time. He fulfilled the old Arab proverb, the best speaker is he who can turn an ear into an eye, and they're able to visualize the truth as Jesus spoke it. And especially when speaking to crowds, the Lord Jesus spoke in very pictorial language. He gave the parable of the sower, for example, it's probably a hillside and all the things he's talking about happening in the hillside. Amazing. His stories. Um, a schoolboy was asked to write in his exam what a parable was. And he put, a, a parable is a heavenly story with no earthly meaning. <laughs> but he got it the wrong way around. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. These are the two things running in parallel. Two sets of truths like railway lines. Um, and you've got to remember also there were no newspapers in the times of the Lord Jesus um, in ancient society like the society Jesus lived in the storyteller was a key figure he was uh, a whole lot of things wrapped into one he was an archivist a historian he was uh, an entertainer uh, <laughs> it was just a wonderful mixture of philosopher and in in a bookless society you cannot overestimate the role of the storyteller and the Lord Jesus was a great storyteller 
wonderful. And he told these stories. Some had a single meaning. The story of the Good Samaritan had one single meaning. Who is my neighbour? It answered the question, who is my neighbour, didn't it? And then you've got the sower. There's a whole variety of lessons from that one story. Multiple meanings are there in the parable of the sower. And uh, this one is like so many of his stories. An everyday story of country folk. Like the archers, eh? Only a bit different. (laughs) Uh, The everyday story of a country farmer. Um, A special man. The greedy farmer. And about 15 of Jesus' parables are about money. This was not only about harvest. This was about money, wasn't it? This parable. And it showed... That money was in the forefront of the thinking of the people of Jesus would not have been talking about money. And someone has estimated that the Jews in the time of the Lord Jesus were the most taxed people ever. Far more heavily taxed than we are, for example. In the history of the world, I think um, one professor made out there were at least 11 and probably 14 taxes that every Jew had to pay. To pay for the upkeep of the temple, <laughs> for the upkeep of the synagogue, for the upkeep of the rabbis. <laughs> to pay, if he was going in holiday, you're going in holiday, well, some of you are going holiday, and you save up for your holiday, you know how much your holiday is going to cost, roughly. <laughs> but they didn't know, if they crossed the frontier, they never knew what the frontier tax would be. They didn't know how much money to take with it. So money was an important part of their thinking. And here's a story about a man who was greedy about money. Things, he was geared to things. He had a slavery attitude in relation to the, <clears throat> to the past. It was, what, what we say in Scotland, the old word was thrilled. Have you ever come across the word thrilled? It means tied up, gathered in, bundled together by things. Money, money, money. Gold, 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 eh? Bright and yellow, hard and cold. Gold um, moved them. The Romans said money was like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. And that's true. You know, guys that make a million, what are they really interested in? How to get the second million? We get taken up with money. And greed and selfishness are twins. So the eye disease appears a lot in this story. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. You take life easy and eat, drink and be merry. And he's, he's taken up with himself. The eye disease. There was too much ego in his cosmos, to put it philosophically. Um, He thought about all that stuff in relation to his own satisfaction. And there was stupidity um, in relation to the present. And he had good points too. I mean, he was a planner. He was a businessman. He was diligent. He was probably legal. He probably displayed good management skills like employing good workers, using the most up-to-date tools, the best seed, 
um, the finest equipment he could get and he forward, he was a forward planner he didn't just think of today, he thought you have many goods for many years, he thought ahead didn't he and planned his retirement <laughs> you would say nowadays you know, you have many goods plenty of goods laid up for many years, take life easy and eat, drink and be merry and when we look around us today we see much evidence of this, you know much evidence and people are so dissatisfied with what they've got one of my pals his great idea was to divide all the wealth in the world uh, put it all in a big pile and then everybody got an equal share and then he said when my pile's done we'll just do the same again you know <laughs> that was his idea and yet God called this man here a fool isn't that a bit strange that God called the man a fool because Jesus told us not to be calling people fools but that's God's prerogative when does God call a man a fool that's a good question what, what are the qualities that make a man a fool well you see a man's a fool when he mistakes himself for God that's number one when he thinks the whole of life turns around him when he's in charge and everything that's done in life is related to what he wants and he puts himself in place of God he didn't think about God some folk are like that. We, we, we had an old lady that we knew, and one of the first things she did when she was growing old was remove all the mirrors from the house. She hated seeing herself in the mirror. And she went to a wedding, and somebody made a film of the wedding, and she happened to be in the house of her showing the film. When she saw herself in the film, she got up and walked out. We never saw her again. She went away to Liverpool, they told us. She was so disgusted at the idea of what she now looked like. She was an, old, an elderly lady. Um, and some folk mistake themselves from God. They run their lives as if God did not exist. They, they would say with uh, the philosopher, the French philosopher, Voltaire, um, I have no need for that hypothesis. And they live as if God did not exist. God calls a man a fool when they mistake themselves for God. And God says, you fool. This night your soul will require of you. And God calls a man a fool when he makes a mistake and thinks his body is his soul. You know? Think how much we spend pampering our bodies, beauty age you see them on the telly all the time how to get rid of wrinkles you've seen that stuff you know I mean I thought polyfilla was good enough but uh, you know and all the, the stuff that makes you smell nice you know you can squirt it under your armpits just be careful it's not uh, as my father-in-law did he squirted stuff and it was hair, his hairspray and he was sort of like this for him. <laughs> but we spend so much on our bodies. And there must be a market for it or they wouldn't be spending all that money on TV advertising. 
Is that right? No, there you are. We live as we do. As if we do not have a soul. We are spiritual beings. Made with a Godward reference. It's not so much that we have a soul as that we are a soul. It tells us that as far back as Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a nefesh chaya, a creature that has life, a creature that has a soul with the direct endowment of the breath of God that marks him out for the animals. Hmm? So the, the customers respond to the advertiser and we live as if we do not have a soul and ignore our saviour react to Jesus until I was about 12 years old I thought basically that Jesus was a swear word trust him as your saviour in this life or face him as your judge in the next life that's our options our souls are very important and we, we should be living in a way that our souls are open to God, to his grace, to his kindness in Jesus Christ, and live in the light of all his kindness. So, who is a fool? Well, we're, we're fools if we mistake ourselves for God. That's number one. And we're fools <clears throat> if we mistake our body for our soul. And we're fools... <clears throat> If we mistake time for eternity, you know, Paul argues about that in one of his, in Corinthians, doesn't he? About the things of time and the things of eternity. We mistake time for eternity, and we can't face the reality of aging. You know, we're getting old. I know what I used to do with a ball. Spent hours and hours practicing football, playing football and all that kind of stuff. And when I try to do with a ball what I used to be able to do with a ball, the result is ridiculous. It's laughable. We're aging all the time. And every day we grow older. <laughs> and it shows... Um, in our faces sometimes there was a guy on the telly the other week two weeks ago I think it was, there was a police programme about Manchester I was watching and a, 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 a man came on called Paul Ferris you ever heard of him? he was a sort of Glasgow gangster boy pally with the folk that I taught in Smithycroft and I just looked at his face and I thought boy you've aged he was a handsome fine looking young lad but he's showing all the marks of the kind of lifestyle he's had, even in his looks. Um, if you go down the Kirkadens, I mean, Glasgow's a very interesting place to visit. It's probably one of the, the best Victorian cities in Britain. And it has a, a, some fine old buildings. If you remember the, the Kirkadens or the Kirkadens, as they call it, if you look up, there's a, a, a carving up. At the, one at the head of one of the buildings and it says this tack tent o time ere time be tent in other words pay attention to time because time will soon run out and the Christians used to say this 
only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. So there's a solemnity. There's not only in this story as a story of stupidity as far as the past is concerned of this man's life. <coughs> stupidity. Um, slavery to the past. It's also a story of solemnity in relation to the present. Pleasure can blind us to reality and we we quietly run from debt and a whole lot of other stuff, from aging, from facing up to life as it is. And there are three things we have to look at very solemnly in relation to the present. Number one is the reality of God. And we, as Christians, the older we get, we, we see the reality of God in creation, don't we? Beautiful. See some of the sunrises and the sunsets. And they don't cost a penny to look at. And God has given us them. The reality of God. And he's given us the Bible. And the older you get, the more precious the Bible should become to us. The reality of God revealed in Scripture. Some wonderful phrases that come up, even in the modern translations, you know. Um, there was one in, in James chapter 1 about uh, God. Um, and uh, my memory is going, that shows my ageing. But I, I think I can remember the, the NIV version of it, but I better look it up. It's James chapter 1. Um, and James comes before First Peter, doesn't it? And bef- after Hebrews, it's in there, and it says, uh, "If any of you act, lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault." Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and the NIV is beautiful. Who does not change like shifting shadows. We're changing, but he doesn't change. And the first thing we should look at as we grow older is the reality of God and where he rates in our lifestyle. The second thing is the brevity of life. That's the second thing. The brevity of life. We just don't know how long we've gone. We don't want to be pessimistic and uh, about it, but you can never tell. I remember a wee girl came to the school. She came in January. She didn't like the school she'd gone to. She was first year. Lovely wee girl. And uh, she came to me the first day she was in school. And she says, have you, have you got a scripture union? I said, yes. She said, hey, could I come to you? I said, yes, my big sister comes to it. Uh, she was a third year, and this week girl was first year. I said, sure. She said, have you got any scripture union notes, sir? So I went in the door and gave her some uh, scripture union notes. And this was the beginning of January. And uh, she was in my class. I was teaching the parables. <laughs> And I got somebody to tell us the story of the lost sheep. You know, there were a hundred sheep and the one got lost and the shepherd found it. And I asked her, I said, what is that? 
What does that story mean, Alison? She says it means God is happy when lost people are found by him. I taught that the previous week. And that she was now in my room at 20 past three. The first snowfall of the winter came. She'd been in my class, I think, five or six weeks. She ran out into the street to avoid a snowball and was knocked down by a mini and died a week later in the Southern General Hospital. And her sister said she loved the Lord Jesus. She read her Bible every night and she prayed every night. I only had her for six weeks. I would have imagined I would have had her maybe up to fifth or sixth year in Smithycroft. Had her for six weeks. Still got her daughter upstairs. And uh, we'd really have to think about the brevity of life. The reality of God, the brevity of life and the urgency of repentance. And repentance isn't something set in stone. Repentance is an active turning to God in every event of life. Whatever comes to us, whatever uh, life throws at us, we can turn to God, turn from sin, turn from our own selfishness like this guy in the story and like some of the folk we meet in our lives and turn to God. That's repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of direction from ourselves to God. And it covers our sin. Because the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood, gave his life on the cross to cover our sin. And we can turn to him at any time. And so we can, we can go to this wonderful story. How many verses did it occupy? Well, have a wee look. He told them this parable. Verse 16. And it finished in verse 20. Four verses. Wonderful, wonderful story full of, of marvellous precious lessons for us let's pray, pray together oh God our gracious father we thank you for the gift of today we thank you for the sun shining on us in this winter morning we thank you for the gift of life and strength and health such as we have and we pray for those around us in this district in Moody'sburn some of them, their hearts are filled with memories of mine disasters and various other accidents that have happened. And some are sad. And some have never loved you well. Some have lost the love they had. Some have never loved you at all because they've never even thought of you in their lives. And so we pray for the witness of the church here. And we pray you'll help the church as it reaches out. Thank you for the news of a summer club. Thank you for the boys and girls who come here. Thank you for everyone who comes in here. Thank you for those who come into the coffee shop through the week and buy books and tracts and various other things they take away. Lord, use your word in the hearts and lives of everyone in this district contacted. Even the witness of walking through a street in a prayer group. Speak in that way, Lord, to those around who, who need you so much we pray Lord you'll help us to be faithful witnesses and help us in our lives not to be so judgmental of others that we write them off help us to take the love of the Lord Jesus to those we'll meet this week and help us not to be fools 
living as if we were God, living as if our bodies are our souls, living as as if <coughs> we ignore time, we ignore eternity and live for time and things. So Lord, hear our cry and let our prayer come unto you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.